long. Why don't you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 is where we're going to be. We're in this series called uh, Culture Shock. And uh, there's a lot of believers that seem to be shocked by the culture and some of the things that are going on in the culture. And so let me just tell you this. You may be shocked by the culture. God is not. God is not shocked by what's going on. God is not shocked by the culture. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. Even though from time to time some of the things that are going on may shock us, it doesn't shock him. And so there's great confidence in that. Now listen, I kicked this series off last week and we looked at the issue of homeland security. In other words, Simon Peter, when he started talking to Christians about this issue of when you're in a community, it seems like they're marginalizing Christians that you've got to know who you are. You've got to know where your security is. And so we looked at some of the language that, that Simon Peter was saying about, about who your identity is or, or where your security is and, and that you're exiles. In other words, exiles in the Greek simply means someone that's just passing through, that our citizenship is not here, our citizenship has been transferred to heaven uh, where it cannot spoil, fade, diminish, be taken away, uh, that our salvation is secure, our, our citizenship is, is secure in heaven. And so as a result of that, 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 that we can have great confidence. And so if you weren't here or you didn't hear the message online, we talked about the five stages of persecution just because that's kind of the groundwork or the, 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 the common thread through this. And, and we learned last week that the first stage is like stereotype typing where, where, where the behavior of a few, those words, gets used to describe the whole group over and over and over to where all of a sudden people believe that that group is is the same as the few. And then it moves from there to vilifying to where they believe that that that, uh, that by your words or by your beliefs that you're taking the, the 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 human dignity away from someone, so it justifies them from being intolerant to you. It justifies them from calling you all kinds of names and kind of stereotyping, and then from there it moves to to marginalizing to where maybe that's what we see more of in our country to where it just seems like Christians are being marginalized, they're being pushed to the margins of society, that it's okay that you have freedom of religion as long as you do that inside your four walls, but you better not bring that out into the public square. That better not affect the way you vote. That may not affect the way you live your life. That may not, better not affect the way you conduct your business. And then, then that moves to criminalizing to where, to where, you know what, there can be fines, there can be jail time, uh, they can take your business away, you can lose your business because of, because of your beliefs, and then that moves to full-blown persecution. Now listen, Simon Peter is writing to these, these groups of Christians in, in the first century, and they're starting to experience the first phases of persecution, but it moves from there very, very quickly to full-blown persecution. You know, they had this guy in charge by the name of, of Nero, now, Nero would reign over Rome for like five years. But Nero was an evil man. And so Nero actually set the city of Rome on fire. And it burned for like nine days. And it is written that while it was burning, Nero sang songs of celebration. Because Nero's plan was this, that he was going to rebuild the city. And he was going to rebuild it bigger and better in his image. But the problem was this. He didn't have... He didn't have consensus of the people. And uh, people were upset. And they started kind of rebelling against him. And so Nero did the only thing that Nero knew, knew to do. And he began to blame the Christians. And he began to say, it's the Christians' fault. And, and the Christians are the ones that, that, that put it on fire. And all those other things. So Nero began persecuting Christians. And the city, they were good with that. 
Because after all, if it wasn't for all these Christians, they wouldn't have any problems. See, it's dangerous when any culture, any society looks at any group, Christians or whoever, and says, it's because of you, it's because of your group that we have all these problems. And so Nero began persecuting Christians. I mean, Nero was an evil man. And he would take Christians and have them sewn into uh, to animal skins. And they would be hunted down by dogs for, for sport. He would have Christians dipped in wax and put on poles and lit on fire to light his parties in the evening. And scripture, tell, not scripture, but, uh, but uh, historical data tells us that Simon Peter more than likely was, was martyred for his faith and he was crucified upside, upside down. And so all of a sudden, it moves into this time of deep persecution. And so, so Simon Peter is writing to these believers, and he's helping them to understand how do, you, how do you operate? How do you live? How do you respond to when Christians are being marginalized? And he said, you know, when, when you suffer hardship, it's okay to be homesick because you know that this is not your home, but your time here is very short. Simon Peter is writing to him, so don't be dismayed and don't be discouraged because your citizenship is in heaven, and this is temporary. I really believe that this series is just so relevant to us that as we watch the culture shift and we continually are asking ourselves, or maybe each other, how should we respond? The Bible tells us how to respond. See, there's some believers that believe that the way in which we should respond is we should just appease the culture. In other words, the way in which we should respond, we should just give in. We should just go along with the culture. We should make shifts in, in theology and shifts in other ways, uh, the way that culture goes. But listen, let me tell you something. There is never any confidence in trying to stand in two places at once, trying one foot in the word or one foot in the church and one foot in the, in the world. But there's another group of believers that say, you know what, the way that we should do, we, we should just be angry. We should just, we should just go on the offensive and we should, we should protest and we should speed hate and anger and all of those other things. In other words, we should attack the culture. We should attack a lost culture. We should attack them for not living up to biblical principles that they've never signed up for. And then we wonder why they won't listen to our message. And see, the Bible says this, and for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at this thought as we start this morning into this thought is this. The Bible says that we can be people of conviction and compassion all at the same time. See, that's countercultural because the world tells you that you have conviction, then you can't be compassionate to those that do not share the same convictions as you. But the Bible says this, that we as believers, we can have strong biblical convictions and at the same time, we can be compassionate. First John 519 uh, says this, says we know that we are from God. The fact is, that's where the title of this message comes from. The title of this message is GPS. In other words, you have to know your position in Christ. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the invention of GPS. I, I am geographically challenged, and I mean when turn-by-turn turn directions was invented, it was my day, my, my life was, was happy, happy, happy. I mean, I, I, get, I get lost everywhere I go. Even when I travel with other pastors on staff, they never let me drive because I always get lost. It's just, it's just not ever up for, for discussion. And so, but you know this when you plug in, when you need to go somewhere on directions of GPS, that to, to go to, to where you need to go to get directions to your destination, you first what? You first got to know where you are. You first, first got to know your position. And that's what Simon Peter is helping them to understand. 
Uh, John 15, 18, Jesus says this about the world. If the, <coughs> excuse me, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, in other words, you got hom homeland security, your citizenship is in heaven, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this is the background I want you to see as we walk through this message. I want you to see the tension of living a life of conviction, but a life of compassion all at the same time. Commentator that I, that I read from is by the, by the name of David Garland. And he wrote about a sto story about an Anabaptist pastor's wife in 1573, what happened to her. And so I'm just going to read from his writings. And here's what he writes. She had been arrested for a few days earlier for pro proclaiming the gospel of Christ as she understood it from her personal reading of Scripture and from studying and discussions from people of like faith. She underwent the inquisition of the clerics for heresy and the torture of the civil authorities, but she would not buckle under pressure. After six months, she would not promise to quit speaking the word from her own reading of Scripture. So the authorities did what they thought they had to do, they sentenced her to death on October the 5th, 1573. Included in her death sentence, it was stipulated that the executioner was to screw her tongue back to the top of her mouth so that she might not testify along the way, pray for those who were for, for torturing her, bless those for who were tor torturing her, so that she might not testify along the way to the place where she was to be burned. That day, her teenage son, Adrian, took his youngest three-year-old brother, Hans, so they could stand near her at the moment of her death. Three other women and one man were to die that day for the same terrible offense, the unauthorized preaching of the gospel. When the flames were lit, Adrian fainted. He could not witness the horror. But when it was all over, as the ashes had cooled, he sifted through the ashes until he found the screw that had silenced his mother's tongue. But it would not silence his. And I don't share this story with you to be depressing. I don't share this story with you to be emotional. But what we're talking about this morning is having conviction and compassion. What we're talking about this morning is the power just to be different in a culture that is marginalizing Christians. Two principles this morning about this issue of learning to be different uh, that I just think is so relevant for us. And the first thing is this. Choosing to be different is a discipline. Choosing to be different is a discipline. It's a discipline in my life, and it's a discipline. In other words, it's just not going to happen by accident. In other words, it's tough in a culture where the culture begins to marginalize Christians. It's tough to live God's way. It's tough to follow God's plan. In other words, God's, God's ways right oftentimes are countercultural. It's countercultural to believe that you can have conviction and compassion at the same time. It's countercultural some of the things that Jesus calls us to do or God calls us to do. And so sometimes living God's way is uncomfortable. And guess what? The world system, the world system is set up to make you comfortable, right? The world system is set up to give you immediate gratification. It's designed to give us pleasure, to gain favor. It's designed to ultimately win your support. And listen, there's, there's two types of people. There's the discipline and the drifter. And you and I have to decide which one are we going to be. Are we going to live a disciplined life or are we going to drift? Because here's the crazy thing about drifting. Drifting takes no effort, right? 
Drifting takes no discipline. I mean, drifting, when you look at it, drifting is that person or the drifter is that person that, you know what, they just coast through life. And they kind of just coast through their spiritual life. And so they, they, they never really follow Christ. They never really follow Christ to any cost. In fact, is they just kind of do what's popular. And, and what Corinthians says, it's that person that just barely makes it into heaven as if escaping the flames. And so the question for us and what Simon Peter is trying to help the early followers to understand, are you disciplined or are you a drifter? Because this issue of discipline, to be different, it just takes work because this world, this world is in the power of the evil one and it's set up to, to steer you away from God. In fact, as one man once said, this is a quote, he said, opportunity may only knock, knock once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. In other words, temptation is, is continual in the culture and the times in which we live. And so if we're going to be, if we're going to be disciplined, what, what Simon Peter says, there's three things that you and I need to remember. The first one is this, is that we need to remember that we have been made new. In other words, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Christ, you have to remember that, guess what? I, I've been made new. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I'm no longer, my citizenship has been transferred from this world to, to heaven, to a place where it can never spoil, it can never fade, it can never decay, it can never be taken away. Simon Peter writes in verse 14 for, in First Peter chapter 1, and he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And listen, it, just real quickly, just, just a little bit about the Greek. It, he says, uh, do not be conformed. That, that's, that's a strong word that basically says, stop it. In other words, they were conforming. They were conforming to the culture. They didn't want to live diff difficult lives. And so all of a sudden he's saying, stop conforming. Just stop it when they try to marginalize you. And he goes on and he says, but as he who has called you holy. And a lot of times that word holy is a word that we really don't get. We really don't understand. It's just kind of like this mysterious uh, religious word. And then all of a sudden he says, and you also, you also be holy. Just be holy in all of your contact. In other words, just understand what Simon Peter said, that when you met Christ, you became a new creation. And now he's calling us to remember that, and he's calling us to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? I mean, what does that even look like? I mean, we're, we're come to say the Bible, and we say the Holy Bible, and, and, uh, and we may look at holy as something that we do in church, but the word holy simply means this. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for a, a special occasion, a, a special purpose. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys, if, if, if this happens in your house, it happens in our house. I think, we, I think we have some things in our house that are just set apart for special occasions, right? I think our guest bathroom is like holy. I mean, everybody else can use it, I mean, but me. I mean, our, bath, our guest bath, it is like, and you know what? And I better not use the bath towels. I mean, that's just... I don't know if it's a museum, I don't know what it is, but, but I just know that it has been set apart. Guess what? We have some dishes that I almost think are holy. That you know what? There were some nice dishes that we were given by my parents, some crystal that, uh, that, uh, in China that when, when we were first married. And uh, you know what? We don't use it for everyday use. It has been set apart for special occasions. And so this is what this word holy means, that you have been made new. And as a result of that, you have been like set apart and you've been like set apart for him. In other words, we have this choice because we've been made new and we are holy that, that you can walk two different paths, right? Discipline or drifter. Uh, 
when I go home this afternoon after church, I have a choice when I pull up to my house. I can either walk through the front yard and track dirt and grass into the house, or I can walk by the sidewalk. It's my choice. And the same is true in your life. You can either walk through the dirt of this world and track it into your life and track it into your relationships where there's consequences, or you can walk the path because you're holy, you're set apart, or you can walk the path that God has set out for you, the direction that he has given you. So if you're going to be disciplined, you've got to remember that I've been made new. The second thing is this. We prepare. We must prepare for a different life. In other words, this issue of, of, of not being a drifter, this issue of being disciplined is something that we have to prepare for. Uh, verse 13 is what Peter says. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So in other words, this is something. Listen, anybody that's disciplined, it doesn't happen by accident. Prepare your minds for actions and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you at the revel revelation of Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden you begin looking at the forcefulness of some of those phrases in there. Uh, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded. And you, you set your hope not on this world, but you set your hope on, on the, the grace of God. Listen, let me tell you something. In case someone has never told you this, the Christian life is not a dream. It's a battle. The Bible tells it because it's living countercultural lives and everything in this world is set up against you because this world is not your home. In fact, is the Bible says this world is in the power of the evil one. So the Christian life is not, is, it's not a dream. The Christian life is a battle. And then that we're, 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 we've been made new and we're a new creation. And as a result of that, we, we prepare. We prepare for a battle. Verse 17, he tells us why. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the entire time of your journey, the entire time of your exile, the entire time that you live on this earth, because we're just passing through. We're just foreigners. We're strangers in a strange land. In other words, what Simon Peter is trying to get them to understand is one day, one day in heaven, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account for your life, not for your salvation. That's already been determined. You cannot lose your salvation. You have a citizenship in heaven. They cannot spoil or fade or decay or be taken away. But every one of us is going to give an account. And we don't exactly know what that looks like. I mean, we know about the judgment seat of Christ and some other things. But one day, we're all going to give an account independently. You're not going to give an account for a spouse, uh, uh, for a friend, for a parent. You ain't even account for yourself. And the account that we're going to give is what did you do with Jesus after you received him? What type of life did you, what did you do with how he, your time and your talent and your treasures? What type of life did, did you lead? And the third thing, that if we're going to live this disciplined life that we have to remember, we have to remember that man, God has paid a price for us. What the scripture says is God has paid an unbelievable price for us. And he goes on and says in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. In other words, that you just remember that, you know what? My salvation, my salvation was by grace, not of works that no man can boast. But that doesn't mean it was totally free. And what I mean by that is God paid an unbelievable price for my salvation, for your salvation. Listen, when I, when I lived in Houston, Texas, and, and Houston, Texas, just unbelievable growth. The fact is, when I lived there, a five-mile radius of my house, a quarter of a million people lived there. 
I mean, it was just, it was just, it was just a lot of people. Fifty to 60,000 people move into Houston, Texas every month. And so it's just expanding and exploding. And as a result of that, they're always building new highways and new freeways. And one of the things that I always thought was so interesting is that when they build freeways uh, in the overpasses, they build it from, from both sides, and they'll, they'll build the ramps. But the last thing that they connect is the bridge. And so you're driving by this thing, there's always this, this big gap. And, and occasionally somebody at night will drive through a barricade or whatever and, and go over and crash and all that other stuff. But I remember driving through those and I'm thinking, you know what? That was like my, my life before Christ. That my life before Christ, I was on one side and God's like on the other side. And there's this, there's this bridge that is out. There's this gap. There's this, this, this great uh, uh, chasm between me and between God. And as a result of that, God sent his, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come down and to, to be a bridge. And that bridge was, was a cross. And it was paid for. Not with silver and gold, but it was paid for by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And Simon Peter said, our, our, our motivation... It's just remembering that God paid an unbelievable price for your salvation. He gave his one and only son. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that by a relationship with him, we could have a relationship with a holy and a righteous God. Second principle that I'd like for you to grab this morning is this, is that choosing to be different is not only a discipline, but choosing to be different is a lifestyle. In other words, choosing to be different is something that we live out. Choosing to be holy is something that is expressed uh, more than just, just, just what we do for an hour on the weekend, but it's expressed in our life. And so three ways, and one of the ways that our holiness is expressed or in our lifestyle is this. It is, expressed by, it is expressed by our love. In other words, our holiness being set apart is expressed by our love. That's why that we can be convicted and compassionate all at the same time. I mean, Simon Peter in verse 22, he like, he like goes for the jugular. I mean, he talks about this issue of love and how we love one another, how we love others. And so he goes on, verse 22, and he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, not superficially, but you love them from a pure heart. And Simon Peter is saying there's no better test of your holiness, there's no better test of you being set apart is other than the way in which you express your love and the way that you love one another's. I, I don't know about you, but some of the time I'd prefer a different test, right? Sometimes it's hard to, like, love people. And Simon Peter's like, you know what? That should be the litmus test, is the way that you love people is an expression of, of being set apart. It's an expression of, like, being different. In other words, he's asking, do you, do you love people warmly? I mean, do you... Do you is love like this filter of your words and your actions to other people? I mean, do you, do you hold other people in respect? Are you able to love others even though their convictions are different than yours? I mean, are you able to look at the interest of others and not only just on your interests? In other words, what Simon Peter says is this issue of love is like a litmus test for believers and, and how we love one another, that we're set apart and we're different. Here a while back... Uh, a pastor friend emailed me. He pastors in a different city. Uh, he pastors like um, a more traditional church than ours. And, and, and maybe you had a background of this. Maybe you didn't, so I'll, I'll explain it. But, but once a month, uh, he does what is called a children's sermon. 
And so some of you came out of a culture like that to where uh, the pastor calls all the kids down and the kids gather around him, the steps, and he gives a, a, a children's sermon. That just scares me to death because, you know, you never know what kids are going to say and you're in front of, like, the whole church. And so, so, so that will never happen here. And so... Uh, I, <laughs> and so, so he calls the kids down and he gives like this evangelistic message and he gives them a chance to accept Christ by raising their hands. And this brother and sister, they're eight and ten, uh, they raise their hands, they accept Christ. And the church celebrated in that. And so um, they dismiss the kids and the counselors talk to the kids. And then that next week, the father of the two kids, the brother and sister who accepted Christ, emails my friend. And says, hey, just got to let you know what happened. You know, Sunday we celebrated that our kids accepted Christ. He said sometime during the week, it was like Monday evening, Tuesday evening, uh, my son and daughter end up in a fight at home. And so, so my son looks at my daughter and says, hey, I thought Jesus lived in your heart. <laughs> to which my daughter looked at him and said, he does. He's sleeping right now. And then hit him. <laughs> Sometimes that may be the problem in our life that Jesus is in our heart, but it just kind of seems like it just seems like he's sleeping. He's like he's asleep at the will. And Simon Peter is saying, you know what? One of the ways you express this issue of holiness and be a different is just by is just how you express your love. And the second thing he says, and you also express your holiness and being different by your mouth. In other words, it's the words that you say, the words that you use. Look at this. He goes on, and it all deals with your mouth in, in verse 1, chapter 2. So he says, put away. He says, take off. Take off all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all, all slander. In other words, you, you discipline your mouth. In other words, you watch the words, because this issue of love is like a filter and he talks about this issue of malice. And this is just like a general word for wickedness. It's those sins that hurt people or injure people. This issue of deceit is that, it's that thing that just means to catch with bait. It's that person that has that, like that, that hidden agenda. And he's trying to set you up. And he talks about this issue of hypocrisy. Just put away hypocrisy. Don't be like some actor that's just playing a role. Live out your Christian life. I mean, live it out. Be a follower of Christ. Don't just, don't just play a part. Let that be who you really are. He talked about this issue of envy and this, this issue of envy. See, envy is so dangerous and so destructive because envy is like having this hidden resentment for someone. And you just don't resent them, but you really want what they have. Resentment destroys relationships. And he, he says, you know what, and put away that thing of, of slander, which is the most vicious of all. It it's literally means evil speaking. It's that person that gossip, that destroys the character of another, slanders another one's reputation. It's always harming someone else's reputation. You know, he said that, that the way that people know that we're believers is, is the way that we express our love. And I never will forget uh, many years ago, I think it was when I had one of my first cell phones and, and um, there was a problem with my cell phone and, and so I had, to, I had to call the company and I don't know, we'll just, we'll just call that company Verizon. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said it. So it could have been Verizon, could have been Sprint, could have been Cricket, you know, you know AT&T. And so I like call them. 
and uh, and I call customer service. I just got to tell you, not much service there. And so uh, so so I call customer service, and I was frustrated. She got frustrated. She said something. I said something. She said something. I said something. And then I've never had this happen to me, but but she just hung up on me. Have you ever had a customer service person get so frustrated you just hung up? So she hangs up on me. I'm like, what? I mean, I cannot believe that. And so my brother happened to work for that company as a salesperson. And so I called Garrett up and said, hey, Garrett, having a little bit of problem with my cell phone. Can you help? He goes, well, did you call customer service? And I go, yeah, you know, you know, they, not much help there. And so he says, oh, okay. He says, well, what's your phone number? I told him, he said, let me log in to your account. And he says, you know, we, we, everybody makes notes, so I'll be able to track. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so he pulls up my file, and he starts dying laughing. He says, what would you say? And I go, she started it. I mean, I mean, what do you mean, what did I say? I don't know why. What do, what do you see that I said? And he goes, you know what? She started off your record, and she said, today I talked to the rude Reverend Jones. All right, well, that's rude right there. And, and so, but you know what? People know you, telling you. People know you by the words that you say. And Jesus said this. Jesus says, by the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And your words, the words that you use, is an indication of what's going on in your heart. And so Simon Peter says that if we're a people of love, if we're different, it will be expressed even to a customer service person. God help us, right? By love. And the last thing is this, is if we're different, it will be expressed by our desire for God's word. I, it's just expressed by desire of God's word. I get so cr concerned when Christians tell me that church is their only, only exposure to God's word. They don't read God's word on their own. I mean, there's not a desire for it. I just, you, I cannot tell you. That's why our values are SWAT, scripture, worship, acceptance, and transformation. That's why we life journal here. That's why we do sermon-based life groups here. It's just trying to push people into his word because it should be normative for believers just to have a desire. That Listen, let me tell you. Well, here's what Simon Peter says. He says, like newborn infants long for or crave the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation. In other words, that, that we're to stay, stay thirsty. And the way that you live in this world and the way that you understand how to respond to a world that is marginalizing Christians is this issue of getting into his word and allowing God's word to speak directly to you. This should not be your only exposure to his word. If it is, I'm just telling you, you're spiritually starving. And you will have difficulty in how do you respond to a culture that seems like they're marginalizing Christians. See, it was the word. When you look at this lady's testimony that was put to death that I started this series, this sermon off with, it was exposure to the word that allowed her to live a life that was different, that allowed her to have conviction and compassion at the same time. Right, prior, right before her death, after she was sentenced to death, she was allowed to write several letters. One of the letters that she wrote that we have record of is she wrote a letter to her oldest son, Adrian. I'm going to close by reading her letter. And so she writes these words. She says, Oh, my dear son, though I'm taken away from you here, strive 
from your youth to fear God, and you shall have your mother up yonder in the new Jerusalem, where parting will be no more. My dear son, I hope now to go before you. Follow me as much as you value your own soul. Besides this, there shall be found no other way to salvation than through Jesus Christ. This I will commend you to the Lord. May the Lord keep you. I trust the Lord will do it if you seek him. Love one another all the days of your life. Take little Hans on your arm for me. And if your father should be taken from you, care for one another. The Lord keep you one and all. My dear children, kiss one another for me. For remembrance of me, all of my dear children. My dear son, do not be afraid of the suffering. It is nothing compared to that which we shall endure forever. The Lord takes away all fear. I did not know what to do for joy when I was sentenced to death. Hence, I did not fear because of this temporal death. I cannot fully thank my God for the great grace he has shown me. Once more, my son, Adrian, be ever so kind to your afflicted father all the days of your life and do not grieve him. This I pray for all of you. For what I write to the oldest, I also write to the youngest. Herewith, I will commend you to the Lord. I've written this after I was sentenced to die for the testimony of Jesus Christ on the fifth day of October in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the year 1573. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is God saying to you as a result of this message, his word? Maybe more importantly, how would God like for you to respond? What, what is your next step? Maybe you've never come to that place to where you've accepted him and asked him to come into your life. And maybe today would be the day that you ask him just to come into your life to where your citizenship is transferred from this world to the next, to where you have homeland security, to where you know that you know that you know that you will spend eternity with him. And may that relationship with him radically change your life. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, I'm a believer, and I know him. Let me ask you this, are, are you disciplined or are you a drifter? Are you listen, living a disciplined life, able to have conviction and compassion all at the same time? Is your holiness expressed in your life? Maybe you say, you know what, I, I just need someone to pray for me. I'm just carrying a burden. and I, You know what, I just need someone to lift that burden. I need someone to add their faith to my faith. I need... I just need someone to pray for me. We want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, I'm just going to invite you. That if you need prayer in any area of your life, that as you stand up, would you step out, begin making your way down to the front. You don't have to walk along. People will be walking with you. We have prayer partners down here that will receive you, that will guide you. I'm telling you, this is their spiritual gift. And we have story after story what's taking place in the front of this room. When people just humbled themselves and just, just received prayer. Because the Bible says that we need to minister one to another. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand. As you stand, just step out, begin making your way down to the front, and we'll guide you. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your name. Father, we just ask that you to pull this church very closely to you. And if spiritual decisions would be made in this room, and Father, we just ask that people would take the next step and just respond to you in prayer. 
And would they find comfort? Would they find strength? And would they find support? As we add our faith to their faith, as we encourage them and minister to them, Father, we love you, we praise you, we look forward to see what you're going to do in the life of this church, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.